And we'll get started. Welcome everyone to our final session of Full Service Church. And I'll remind you of what that is. Some of you have not been here for prior sessions, but you'll need uh, some paperwork for that. And it's the paperwork that we've had the last couple of weeks. Uh, the guys were handing out some for any who didn't have. And some of you brought those back. Anybody need over here? James has got some back here. He can get to you. Everybody have? And then over here. We got some over here, guys. Do you guys have some? Okay. All right. We've got just the last few, but we still have a few. And a couple over there. Thank you, James. Page 21, uh, we'll just look at that in page 22 quickly and then get to the final page for this final session in a bit. Bottom of page 21 in just a bit. Some announcements this afternoon at 2.30 is our next congregational meeting. We call that a family meeting. 2.30, it's by Zoom. Those who are members of our church received earlier this week an email with a link to that uh, Zoom meeting. So we invite you all to be a part of that. It should be, as usual, fairly, fairly short. We're going to get a year-end financial report from our treasurer, and then I have a handful of informational items to, to pass on to you, just things that are going on or coming up in the life of the church. So unless you have a lot of questions for the treasurer or for me, then that should certainly not be more than an hour, and it may well be shorter than that, but it will start at 2.30 this afternoon. Next week, and for four weeks, uh, in the first four weeks in March, we're going to have three adult classes going on. One is the newcomer's orientation, and that is for, as the name suggests, those who are new to the church, and it goes for four weeks during this hour, and I lead that class. We go through a notebook of material, and it's designed for those who are looking for a church. Uh, to help you make a decision about that. Now, coming to that class is for information only, so it doesn't uh, obligate you to anything, and we don't uh, hassle you after you've taken it. Uh, it gives you information that you can then prayerfully consider whether this would be the place for God to have you grow and, and serve. We tell you about our church, where it came from, uh, what we believe, uh, why we do things the way we do, how the church is structured and, and those kinds of things. It's a small setting, so you can ask questions that you have. And I always enjoy going through those sessions. So at this time, next week, during this hour, we will be having the newcomer's orientation. If you are not taking that and you think that would be helpful to you, then we would love to have you. You don't need to register for it. You just need to show up. And we're going to be in the classroom right out those doors and across the hallway starting at 11.15 next Sunday and for four weeks uh, during, during March. At the same time that's going on, our Membership 101 class will be happening. Pastor Larry leads that, and he invites the people who have joined our church since the last Membership 101. So that's a defined uh, group of people. We know who they are. We know who's joined since the last time, and we have that class to help them take a deeper dive into how to get assimilated into the, the church. If you fit in that category, you've already received your invitation. Then everybody who's not in orientation or 101 will be in here for those four weeks. We're going to have two of our brothers teaching those four weeks. The first two weeks, Brother Paul McKenzie is going to be teaching, and then the final two weeks, Brother Billy Cochran will be leading. After that is finished, on April the 7th, uh, 
There's one Sunday in between, uh, March the 31st. There are five Sundays in March, but the 31st is Easter, and there is no, this hour will not happen on Easter. We don't have second hour. We have one hour on Easter, 10.30 that day for our one worship service on Easter. The following week, April the 7th, we will start a new series in here, and it'll be an outreach series. So we send out mailers to the community for that. We will give you invitations, printed and digital, that you can use to invite folks to that series titled, What's the Difference? And it's going to have a history component to it, uh, but it's going to look at the origin of the various denominations. Uh, what's the difference between churches, denominations? And we'll see where they came from, where we've come from, what some of the doctrinal differences are, and so on. People often have questions about that. Uh, you probably have some questions about that and can get very uh, confused when you see all the churches out there. And uh, we hope that some people in our community will want to know the answers to some of those questions as well and use that as a forum uh, when we get to the doctrinal portions to be able to present the gospel as well. So that'll be on April the, the 7th. In between, in, uh, in March, uh, if you think about it, pray about this. On Thursday, March the 14th, we are going to have a group of pastors here. We will be hosting the, a new initiative called the Healthy Church Network, and that is being started by one of our missions agencies, Baptist Ministry, or excuse me, Biblical Ministries Worldwide. And Chris Anderson, who's the vice president of that, Chris has preached at our church a few times. He wrote the hymn that one of the hymns we sung this, uh, this morning, His Robes for Mine. And Chris will be here, and he's uh, heading that up. Uh, but they've asked us to host that. I'm looking forward to that. And it's something that we uh, want to partner with because we're interested in planting and revitalization uh, in, in the future. So pray about that. That'll be Thursday, March the 14th. That Saturday, two days later, the 16th, is a family bowling event. And on the 21st, April the 21st, is our next baptism. If you have never been baptized, that is, you've been immersed in water to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If that's never happened, then I'd love to talk to you about that. We have a one-page application that you fill out for baptism, and then that gets to me, and then we can set a time to talk about whether or not you're a candidate for, for baptism. That uh, one-page application you can pick up at our Welcome Center desk before you leave. Uh, fill that out this week or fill it out before you leave. Turn it back in to them, and then they will get it to me and we'll go from there. All right. Last week of full service church. And we call it full service because our desire as a church is to be the most efficient disciple-making branch of the church, capital C, that we can possibly be. Our, our church's theme verse is Colossians 1.28. We present Him, we proclaim Him, teaching and admonishing everyone so that we might present everyone fully mature in, in Christ. So that's our goal. But that's the goal, getting from here to there and getting individuals from here to there is our, our lifelong task. Uh, we have been doing that for the years that the Lord has allowed our church to minister. We've had a process to move people through from coming to Christ to foundational maturity in Christ and ongoing growth, and we're thankful to the Lord for the fruit that He's given in that. Now, we want to take that and enhance it, and that enhancement is what I've been mostly talking about in this series. 
so that our discipleship takes on a proactive, I've used that term a number of times, a proactive character. And here's what I've been describing. In the notes that, that you have, in the opening pages of that set of notes, we have 10 uh, phases that the typical life goes through, from birth all the way to retirement and then promotion to, to heaven. That's my way of saying dying, okay? And so from birth to death and everything in between. And what we've tried to do is identify the typical phases that all of us go through. And then with that proactive approach to discipleship, prepare them, people, for the challenges and opportunities that they are going to face as uh, an experience as growing disciples of Christ in that particular stage of life. We have found that in some of those in particular, if people do not navigate those phases well, they can get derailed very easily and with repercussions for the rest of their lives. Uh, for, their, for their growth in the Lord. And so it's a tall order, and you see on those pages some of the issues that we want to try to address, and that's just a sampling in preparing folks for each of those phases. So that's what we mean, though, by full service. We are going to add to what we've been doing, this proactive pre-phase uh, teaching and support and resourcing for folks to prepare them for each of, the, each of the stages of life. So a way to think of this is it's every phase of life for all of life. Every phase of life for the rest of your life is what we, is what we want to do. Now, in doing that, in talking about this with you over the last several weeks, uh, I've made the point that we each have different callings and, and vocations. Vocations is a word that we use in Christian circles because the Latin word vox means voice or call, calling, and so vocation is your, your calling. And that calling can simply be, and most often is, just your station in life at a particular time. So if you have children, you've got a calling. You've got a calling to be a parent. You've got a calling to be a father or a mother simply because you have children. If you're married, you have a calling to be a spouse, to be a husband or uh, a wife. So some of these are specific vocations that not all of us have. Not all of us are married. Not all of us have, if we are married, not all of us have, have children. And then there are common callings for all disciples of Christ, for all followers of, of Christ. And so we want to, with these vocations, these callings, whether common or individualized, particularized, we want you to be able to be prepared for each of those so that you can serve with your whole heart as an ambassador of Christ sent out from an embassy, that would be this place, for the kingdom. So that's the idea that we're an outpost for the kingdom. One of the reasons we don't call this building, and we never have, and if you do call this location the church, some of you have been physically assaulted. I've smacked you when, you, when you've done that. We, we don't call the building the church. We try to get away from that. And we've been in this building for 10 years, and from minute one, I've, I've endeavored, even before we acquired this building, I said, when we have our future ministry center, 
And there's a reason that we want to use that language because, one, the building, of course, is not the church. It is the called out people of, people of God who are these disciples of Christ. And what we do here is we train people. It's a, a ministry center. So at the embassy here that we call the ministry center, we train people to send out into their callings as ambassadors for, for the king. Now, if we are able to do that, we're able to get our minds around that, then it will help us immensely with something that has vexed Christians for centuries, I mean, literally centuries. And everybody's taken their shot at trying to solve this, but it's, it's a real conundrum. And that is the difference between the sacred and the secular. And so, because, you know, think about in the Middle Ages and think about the dominant uh, religious expression, not the only religious expression, but the dominant one during the Middle Ages, and that would have been Roman Catholicism. Roman Catholicism has a very top-heavy, hierarchical structure to it. When we do our what the, What's the Difference series, we'll talk a lot about how that developed and, and so on. But it's very top-heavy, and it's very top-down. So there is a very clear line between the sacred and who's involved in the sacred and then everybody else. You see the clergy and you see the laity. And Roman Catholicism makes a big deal about the difference between the two. In fact, for centuries, when mass was observed in Roman Catholic churches throughout the world, when the priest would consecrate the cup and the host so that it, in Roman Catholic theology, literally turns into the literal body and blood of Christ when he prays that prayer of consecration. When he did that, for centuries, he turned his back to the congregation. He faces the, the altar and he alone can do this. And so it was, another, it was another sign that you're not the clergy. And it is only the hierarchy and the officials of the church, the magisterium, that can do this. So that has been something that people have talked about, certainly after the Reformation. You know, a guy like Martin Luther comes out of that, and he's trying to break down, at least to some extent, this high wall between clergy and laity. The priesthood of the believer was something that Luther would then talk about a lot. So when I say this has vexed Christians for a long time, uh, I mean that. And so this is a way for us to try to address that so that you are, in your everyday work and vocations, whatever those are, you're being sent out by the church to do very sacred work. Bottom of page 21 then. Being and doing... We are redeemed to reign. Sometimes if you ask Christians, what's, what's God's purpose in his world today? The answer you would get is to see people come to Christ. Now that's a good answer. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an incomplete answer biblically. It's extremely important. It's eternally important that people come to Christ. But after people come to Christ, God has something for them to do. We're redeemed, we're saved, we come to Christ, 
But that's for a purpose. That's what I mean by redeemed to reign. And so I say here, the, we, we've seen that the Bible is clear that the church's disciple-making task requires that people are born again and then they mature as measured by conforming to the image of Christ. So we are born again and then we grow into the image of Jesus. So make disciples, Jesus says, bottom of page 21. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, he's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. And then top of page 22 is that theme verse for our church in Colossians 1.28 that I quoted earlier. That image into which we are restored after we are redeemed is now lost. It was originally announced and explained in the opening chapters of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, and I talked about that last, last week. Middle of page 22, I say we learn something of the Imago Dei, the image of God, and what it means from the particular words that are used for it in Genesis 1.26, the words image and likeness. The word image refers to a representation. The God who is spirit created a physical representative in Adam, in humanity. And then, skip down to that next paragraph, the assignment that humanity received was to serve as God's vice regents on earth. Adam was told, be fruitful and increase in in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is what theologians call the dominion mandate. It was given by the king of creation to all humanity. So it was not required of Adam and Eve alone, but rather this is why they were told to be fruitful and multiply, because this is going to be passed on to their posterity, increase in number, fill the earth. And they're told, we are told, rule. In Genesis 1.28, it's the same word for the rule of the Messiah used in Psalm 110. The word for subdue, the Hebrew word, speaks of the work of a king. And so Michael Vlock summarizes this connection between the image being restored and then ruling dominion. This relationship between the image of God and ruling over creation is so close that some have concluded that the image itself is the function of ruling But ruling is probably a consequence of being in the image of God. The main point is that man is God's image bearer, created to rule the earth on God's behalf. So, top of page 23. We are made in God's image to rule on His behalf, and we are restored to His image to do the same. God created humanity to rule in His image. That image has been marred by sin. Redemption, salvation, starts the process of restoring that image so that we then rule again on God's behalf. Redemption is for relationship with God, but also for ruling and reigning. In the future, what the Bible calls restoration of all things, we will image him perfectly and so be able to reign with him in the future kingdom. So how great will that be? The restored creation, the bookend of creation at the end of the Bible, at the end of human history, 
And God's design for his kingdom and his creation will be restored in the kingdom and we will be part of that. But that then raises this question about Christian discipleship. In what way do Christians rule now? That dominion mandate is still applicable, but given the subsequent fall and the intrusion of sin, in what way does it show up? Is all work that's done ethically and at least in some way is for the glory of God, is it all equal? I asked you at the end of our time last week, this question, is a Christian CEO's speech to shareholders just as important as a gospel sermon? Because if we're wanting to break down or at least manage this clergy-laity distinction, the sacred and the secular, then one answer to that might be yes. Anything that you do for the glory of God, how, wherever you do it or however you do it, is, is all the same. Or maybe not. Sorry about that ringing. You guys okay? All right, good. Is pastoral, I ask, or missionary work more important than other endeavors? Since most are neither pastors nor missionaries, can work nevertheless be seen as sacred? And the answers to those can only be found in a clear understanding of how the redeemed rule now. And so, as I mentioned in the sermon this morning, I have been helped immensely by some of the work that uh, Jonathan Lehman has, has done on, on this issue. And so, let me find my notes and then I'll tell you all about it. So there have been these different approaches over the centuries about how to try to solve this conundrum. One of those is, for lack of a better term, just the broad approach and the narrow approach. A broad approach to seeing our role as Christians in the world, a broad approach, is one that says things like, have you ever heard this, all ground is holy ground? You know, for, every, for a Christian, I've heard preachers say this, for a Christian, every bush is a burning bush, and all ground is holy ground. Now, see, that's, there, that's a way of saying the broad approach, that, that everything is holy, everything you touch is holy, everything you do is, is to be holy. So every bush is a burning bush, all ground is holy ground. But the problem with that is holy means set apart. I mean, the, the actual word means set apart. The actual word means different. So if all ground is holy ground, then what's the big deal about any particular ground? You remember when, when Moses was able to just see God from behind briefly, remember that, on Mount Sinai, and God tells him, remove your sandals, for this ground is holy ground. Now, the ground that he was on, you know, 300 yards before that, it's my understanding, it wasn't holy ground. <laughs> the reason this is set apart ground is because what's going to happen here didn't happen over there. It's different. It's set apart. And so it sounds good, and we preachers like to say stuff that sounds good, and we just hope nobody really thinks about it. <laughs> There's a phrase preachers use, that'll preach. <laughs> that phrase will preach, but you know, I, I, when I preach, I talk kind of deliberately because I want you to think about it, and I'm not trying to slide anything on, in on you quickly. 
in kind of a quick cadence or something like that. But, you know, every bush being a burning bush, no, nah, I don't think so. I don't think you'd be able to identify the one with the ram, you know, and it, and, uh, if, if they're all burning. Or we'll say that there's no such thing as the difference between sacred and secular. Again, this is the broad approach. This is represented by a guy named Abraham Kuyper. Kuyper, K-U-Y-P-E-R, K-U-Y-P-E-R, Abraham Kuyper. And a Kuyperian approach to this is the broad approach. All ground is holy ground. He is famous for a number of things. One, he was a great, he was a terrific guy. He really was, 100 years ago. He was the prime minister of the Netherlands. He was a theologian, he was a Christian, a completely dedicated Christian, Abraham Kuyper. Wrote theological works and he was also into politics. And he's the guy who said, there is not a square inch in God's world where King Jesus does not say, mine. Not a square inch, it's all mine, and we're out there to get it. And that's why he got into politics, as he did. It was ordered to reclaim the world for, for Christ. And, it, and that included politics, that included all the vocations, this is the broad approach. Those who are uh, take an approach called theonomy, postmillennialism, dominionism. There's a ton of these people, a ton of them. A seven mountains dominionism, has anybody ever heard of that? Seven mountain dominionism. And the idea is this, these seven mountains are seven areas of life, media, arts, business, government. I don't remember all seven of them. Seven huge areas, and Christians are called to take dominion over those now. And so people who are at, and I'm not trying to wax political, make anybody mad, I'm just saying, a lot of people at the MAGA rallies are seven mountain dominion people. A lot of the people surrounding the candidates fit into these categories. And what they want to do is that because they are Kuyperian, postmillennial, dominionist, seven mountain, all kinds of names. That's the, the A and approach, the broad approach under the broad umbrella. Then there's the narrow approach that says only what you do at church then is what matters. The secular is not really all that important. I mean, you've got to eat in order to witness. You've got you to be healthy in order to show up at church. So get a job so that you can have some money and eat and be able to come to church. It's kind of that idea. The only thing that really matters is what happens within the four walls of the church or in the ministries of the church. The secular, this is the narrow now approach. And it, it elevates those who are involved in those callings, those vocations, above everybody else. Some of you grew up in churches that regularly had invitations for people to come to the front and surrender their life 
for full-time Christian service. Become a pastor, become a missionary. And you need as many people to become pastors and missionaries as you can because that's where the action is. That's what really matters. What are you going to do? Waste your life being an engineer? I'm not kidding. Going into business? That was, that was the view. I heard that kind of preaching a lot when I was a, a kid. But this is the narrow approach. Work is simply fuel for a mission. Money uh, to fuel the, the mission. I think the right way to look at this, broad, narrow thing, because as I'm going through all of that, you're probably going, well, you know, there's some truth to that Kuyperian thing. And then you're going... Well, yeah, you know, I mean, isn't, you know, being a pastor, being a missionary, you know, more important than, you know, some mundane, you know, job? And you may be thinking, well, you know, that's true as, as well. So how do, we put, how do we put all that together? Under the broad category, the way to think about this is we go out into the world to uh, be disciples. As individuals, we go out into the world, into the secular world, into our callings, into our vocations, all of them, no matter what they are. And as we do that, we, are, we go out to those as disciples of the King. We are disciples of Jesus. When we are doing whatever work it is that you do, Monday through Saturday, whether it's stay at home, whatever job you have, the broadest approach is be a disciple of Jesus, wherever you are. But then there is also truth to the narrow approach, because Jesus said, make disciples. So it's not just be a disciple, you know, be a Christian, be saved, and then go about your business, but rather the church is tasked with making disciples. And what does Jesus say about making disciples? He says, Matthew 28, 19, make disciples of all nations. And then he tells you how to do that. Baptize them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe everything that I've commanded you. So in be disciple, make disciple, you've got two different areas, two different realms of responsibility. Be disciple is all of us. Being conformed to the image of Jesus gradually and taking that with us everywhere we go. Into every calling that he gives us. The church is called to baptize and to teach, to obey everything that he has commanded. Making disciples. And those of us, all of you, all of us that go out as disciples, we also play a role as in the church's task of making disciples. Because, of course, as we do that, we're going to carry out a function of representing and, and verbalizing and witnessing for the king. And we want to see people that God brings us as I go as a disciple, wherever that is, we want to see people 
see us and hear us and come to Him. And we don't want them to only pray a prayer to receive Jesus as Savior because we remember what we're, we're trying to do, what we're partnered to do is make disciples, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. So we want, yes, that person first to come to Jesus, but then to see them connected to His church so that they can be grown as a disciple in the place that Jesus has given to do that very thing. Make disciples, teach them to observe everything that I've commanded be broad, make narrow, and we're to do both of those. Now, page 23, summarizing some of that. God has authorized the church as an organized collective with a priestly authority to do a priestly job while He's authorized every member of the church with a kingly authority to do a kingly job. And the first year yields a narrow mission, and the second, this broad one. Broadly, God sends every member of a church to do what Adam failed to do, represent him in a kingly fashion in his dominion-establishing, God-imaging sons. Narrowly, God sends the church as organized collective. That would be the local church, you know, the organized church, organized religion. You know, people say, I don't believe in organized religion. God believes in organized religion. It was his idea. But if you don't like organized religion, I say join our church. We're still trying to get organized, okay? <laughs> God sends the church as organized collective to make disciples or citizens of the kingdom. In a phrase, the broad mission is to be, as I was saying, the narrow is to, to make. And this makes sense then of two different ways that the Bible uses, and we often in just talking use the word church. We say the church should. Now, are we talking about the local church organized collective? Are we talking about the broad church, capital C, body of Christ, everybody who knows Jesus all over the world of whatever denomination they're a part of? Because the Bible says that's the, teaches that's the body of Christ. So when we use the word church and we say the church should do something, we should be careful about what do we mean by that. Sometimes, I say here, we use the word church to refer to all the members, who they are, what they do throughout the week. Sometimes we use it to refer to those members as an organized collective capable of doing certain things together that we can't do apart. There's a necessary distinction then between the organized collective and the church as its members, and each of these possesses a distinct authorization. The organized church, the church as organized collective, that's the church like this, local church, trains and sends members, the church as its members, into their work, their vocations, their callings. And members use their gifts and abilities to further the church's work so that we are all part of this making disciples then enterprise. So the church makes disciples by baptizing and teaching. Specifically, churches baptize people into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so baptism gives people the Jesus name tag, the team jersey. 
It identifies individuals with Christ and with Christ's people. Churches, local churches like this, on April 21st, we will baptize a number of people who are already in line to, in the pipeline to be baptized. We baptize at least in part so that Christians can begin to gather in the name of Christ with other believers, as the Bible commands us to do. As such, churches ordinarily baptize new converts into church membership. You become a member when you get baptized. Baptized, Baptism makes a church responsible for an individual's discipleship, saying, hear this, she's with our Lord and with us. We've identified this person, he or she, they belong to the Lord, we have heard their testimony, we are affirming that they belong to the Lord and they belong to us. And that new believer who's getting baptized says, I am with the Lord and I'm with them. I'm joining them in membership. So we need to think and talk about two different kinds of jobs. The embassy job, the ministry center job of the whole church and the ambassadorial job of every member. And that's why we need to talk about the church's mission in those two different respects, the whole church's mission and the individual member's mission. The mission of the embassy and ambassador are related, they're interdependent, but they are distinct like a law school and a lawyer are distinct. A law school trains lawyers, lawyers go out and do lawyering. So the embassy, the ministry center, trains the disciples that are made, teaching them to observe everything. And then we go out and we actually do that in these kingly functions like house, being a housewife, lawyer, accountant. I picked on the engineers earlier, engineers. So I asked that question at the end of last week, and, I, and we had it in the notes. Is the speech of a chief executive officer to shareholders? just as important, you could add just as sacred, just as spiritual as delivering a gospel sermon. And I told you to think about that this week. And I'm sure you forgot that I told you to think about that this week. So I'm reminding you that I told you to think about this week. It's true that there are no extra points in heaven for someone who's in full-time vocational ministry. But Lehman says this, he says, still we need to do more than give all the kids a first place blue ribbon so that everyone feels good about themselves as in Garrison Keillor's mythical Lake Wobegon where all the children are above average. It's better to acknowledge that things like lawyering and pastoring or mothering and missions are apples and oranges in one sense. They play different roles in the kingdom of Christ and the economy of redemption. Now it's true, he throws in an aside, that sometimes, like for me, pastors get paid, and in that sense, pastoring serves the creation and kingly purposes of providing food and shelter for the pastor and his family. So in one regard, pastoring can be compared to any other occupation. But that shouldn't obscure the fact, he says, from a kingdom standpoint, pastoring and being a missionary are unlike other occupations 
because their primary purpose is the priestly one of helping people move inside the embassy. That's their primary purpose. And when you have your job in your kingly function, whatever that is, that is given to you by God, assigned to you by God, important for you from the standpoint of, of God, but it's not the only thing you do. You glorify God in that by the way you do the work, by the quality with which you do that work. You may not get an opportunity to witness to somebody, to see them brought into the kingdom, brought into the embassy. You may, you may not get that for a year. Try though you do. Pray about it though you do. But it's still something God has assigned and it's important in order for us to carry out that kingly function that God gave to humanity. And he assigns that in the vocations, the things that he has called us to. So you have both the kingly function, that's your primary function in your job. But then you also look for opportunities as one who's been sent out by the church in order to be a, uh, a priest on behalf of Christ and speak to people about Christ and show Christ to other, other people. Now, if all of that's true, and you know I'm convinced it is, but it's all a mouthful, then how can we as a church emphasize this to you all as you go out Monday through Saturday? And one way that I believe we should consider doing this is that at least annually, we set aside time on Sunday for me to teach about this and then for our church, this embassy, to commission ambassadors to go out into your calling and to represent the Lord and the Lord of this church in what He's called you to do. So that you go, and then throughout the year, just try to remind you of that, that this is what you're doing. So that throughout the year, when we leave, as we're going to do in a couple minutes here, when we leave on the Lord's Day, you get ready for Monday. Whatever Monday holds for you, you go into it with that mindset. I've been sent by the Lord to do this. I've been sent by the Lord to take care of these children. I've been sent by the Lord to crunch those numbers as an accountant to manage those people in that job and to represent Jesus in the way I do that in my kingly function and to ask him to give me opportunities to verbalize his truth to them. So here's what I think uh, we're going to do. Is when I say at least annually, that means at least every Labor Day. Let's make Labor Day something. I mean, remember what Labor Day is, right? Labor Day is about labor. It's about work. And most people in this room have something to which you put your hand to work every day of every week. 
that God has called you to do. But it's for your whole life. It's just been this sort of side gig to the sacred stuff. And so in order to underscore how important that is, but the connection between what the ministry center and the embassy does and what we're doing together, then at least once a year have that kind of collective commissioning. You're being sent out, you're being sent out by the Lord and you're being sent out by his church to do this. So I have it on my calendar for us to do that for the first time this coming, coming Lord's Day. All right, pray for us, okay? Because we want to be a full service church. We want to fully serve God's people at every stage of life. Uh, if God gives me enough years in order to see that implemented in this church, then I will die a happy man, a blessed man. If he doesn't, then I'll still die a blessed man because I'm, I'm going to see the Lord and you guys take care of it after that, okay? <laughs> All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the blessings of today because it's the first day of the week. It's the Lord's day. And we meet together on this day because you rose from the grave on the first day of the week. And so every Sunday is a blessed day. It represents that we are related to and serve the risen Lord who is king over his world now at the right hand of the Father. And Lord, thank you for the great privilege that we've been reminded of that as your people who are, being, who are being re-imaged, being restored to the image of Christ, that you are restoring us so that we can carry out your work in your world as you have it today and until you return and establish your kingdom. So thank you for our salvation. Thank you for the work that you are doing to restore the image in us. And thank you for the places that you have assigned us in order to display that image, in order to bring glory to your name in the way we go about the tasks that you've assigned to us. I pray, Lord, that all of us, myself included, this afternoon, tomorrow morning, that we will rise and we will think about what it is we're doing and why it is we're doing it. May it give us a joy that we can easily lose in the hustle of a given week and all of the tasks that are come our way. Grant us times, Lord, where we can just stop and remember whose we are and what it is we're doing and why. We ask you to give us joy in the journey this week and in the weeks and months ahead. As together, as your ambassadors gathered in this embassy, we seek to bring glory to you as we serve you where you've assigned us. We ask you to grant us safety, Bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.